Hey, this fall, we're gonna study the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah is in the Old Testament. It's about the history of Israel. And it's in Nehemiah that we see the walls and the gates of Jerusalem have broken down. Uh, right? And the wall and the gates, that would have been a symbol of security and safety for the people. And in our day, we don't, we don't have walls and gates, but we do have symbols of security and safety. I mean, you see a lack of confidence in those in positions of authority. Uh, we see more skepticism with the local church. Uh, we see uh, struggling doubts with our economy. Even in our friends and our family, there's fractures that are setting in. Well, in the book of Nehemiah, the Lord is going to walk us through a process to find our safety and security, not in the things of the world, but in Him. And so come with us, whether you're in person or online, like, share, subscribe, invite as many as possible to study the book of Nehemiah with us this fall. All right, all right, everybody, that's enough, and that's enough. Let's, uh, let's grab our seats. Everybody's so chatty this morning. It's the cold weather. It wakes us up real quick. It's good to see you. My name's Michael. If you're new here this morning, welcome to North Village Church. Glad to have you here. Our, we're, as a church family, we're focused on build and belong right now. It's the family part of our vision, that we're wanting to have closer relationships with one another. The pandemic kind of pulled us away from each other. We want to have closer, we want to break back into our relationships with each other. And one of the things that helps us is those tablets. We pass a tablet through the aisle. That's a way for us to stay connected as a church family. So please, you know, provide whatever information you're comfortable with. Uh, we're, we're glad you're here uh, this morning. Welcome to North Village Church. We're going to be in Nehemiah, the Old Testament. So you can grab a Bible, grab that devotional, and uh, jump into Nehemiah chapter 8 with us this morning. I mean, have you ever found a, a, a relationship, a friend, a person in your life where their, their faith in Jesus was just infectious? Like, I, I don't mean like, uh, like gregarious or animated, but that they're just the type of people that after you spent time with them, you like wanted to go home and read your Bible. Like, you just wanted to know God more. Like, types of people that you wanted to, to, to serve people more because you just spent some time with them. Like, just to give your life for the glory of God's kingdom because you spent some time with them. Like, the... the I hope you've had people like that in your, your life. I, I know for me, God has blessed me with a number of relationships like that. The, the first one was a guy named Brad Pesnell. Uh, he, he was the first person in my life that kind of just really took an interest in my life, made me believe, you know, like that Jesus would be interested in me, changed, changed my relationship, right? There's a, there's a young family that was maybe 25 years old. Diane and uh, Wendell Weaver invited me as an 18, 19-year-old to live in their home. Right, they had a baby themselves, and then they brought me as a baby, basically, to, <laughs> into their into their family at 18, and it changed how I saw the home life. Uh, I remember the first time I heard Tommy Nelson up at Denton, Texas, teach the Bible, and I, and I walked away thinking that maybe I could actually understand the Bible. Like it changed the trajectory of my life. I, I remember uh, Rocky Freeman set me down and walked me through uh, the Book of Romans. And, and, and when we got done with Romans, he said, go teach uh, that to somebody else. I'm like, what? And it changed. It changed the trajectory of my life. I hope that every one of us have, have those types of people uh, in our story. But this morning, we're going to see that in, in the book of Nehemiah, chapter 8, that there's people like Nehemiah and Ezra. Ezra was about rebuilding the temple. Nehemiah is about rebuilding a wall. But as we get into chapter 8, it's going to become clear that it's not about rebuilding a temple. It's really not about rebuilding a wall. It's about rebuilding a people. Rebuilding a people unto God's glory. So that we're going to see four observations this morning. We're going to see we gather together, right? That we, uh, 
we study God's word, that we daily repent, and that we worship the Lord. That if we are going to be a people for God's glory, we want to see these four characteristics in, in our life. So let's take this first one. We gather together. Turn to page 44 in your devotional. That's our gift to you. We got our little ones here today. We don't have pre-K and elementary uh, this morning. Uh, and so they're, they're here with us this morning. And so it's okay uh, if kids get a little loud. We'll just get loud together. They're just, they're just excited about God's word. It happens sometimes. Let's look at uh, verse 1, Nehemiah chapter 8. Nehemiah writes, And all the people gathered as one man at the square which was in front of the water gate. And they asked Ezra, the scribe, to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given to Israel. So if you're new this morning, Nehemiah takes place in the Old Testament. Nehemiah is about the history of Israel. Nehemiah, the person, is actually, uh, when it starts off, he's actually living in Susa. It's modern-day Iran. It's the capital of the Persian Empire. And he hears about the broken-down wall. He hears about the burned-down gates of Jerusalem, and it breaks his heart. That's Nehemiah chapter 1. In chapter 2, Nehemiah gathers resources. In chapter 3, he gathers people. And in chapters 4, 5, and 6, he gathers perseverance Right, because he's facing so much opposition. And then what we looked at last Sunday was Nehemiah 7, where he gathers leaders to place them in the city so that in Nehemiah chapter 8, the, the people gather at the square in front of the water gate because it's important for the people of God to gather. That's why we're here this morning. We want to we we gather as the body of Christ. Right? We, we learned that during the pandemic. Right, that we didn't we didn't get to meet together as as often as we would like. It was difficult to gather during the pandemic. And maybe for some of us at first it was kind of fun. You feel like you had a free Sunday, right? Our family, we went out and did brunch, you know, early on. We'd never done Sunday brunch, and we're like, man, there's a lot of people out here doing Sunday brunch. It was kind of fun at first, but then after a while we started to realize like how much we missed gathering as the body of Christ. Like we missed, almost unconsciously, we didn't know we missed it. We missed seeing other people in the faith. We missed seeing other people kind of navigate the, the challenges in the workplace and talk about overcoming difficulty. We miss seeing couples fight for their marriage, uh, pray together, uh, fight for the hearts of their children. When we were kind of huddled up and tucked away, we just missed that physical, visible reminder of one another. We missed being able to, to gather and, and hear God's word being taught, to sit under God's word and, and then to listen to the groans. You know, sometimes like during a, during a sermon, like you're just like, ah, oh, ooh, ah. You know, like we just, we, like we were looking at God's word as a family, but we missed the corporate gathering of like being able to sing. You know those moments when you're singing a song and people just start clapping. You're like, that's not even in beat. What are you doing? But they can't, they can't control themselves. They're just like, yes, and they're just worshiping. Like we missed getting to hear like multiple people in a room just sing. We missed that. That's what you get when you gather as the body of Christ. When you gather with other followers of Jesus. We missed like last Sunday. Last Sunday, Clay Preston got up on a stage and he talked about what, it, what build and belong meant for him 
personally. If you were here last Sunday, I was like, dang, that was so good. Clay articulated it perfectly. But when we're in isolation, we miss that. When we're not able to gather with other people, we miss that. And sometimes our culture wants to create this illusion that, that we're lone rangers, that we're better alone, that we're so complicated, we're such misfits, that we, we should kind of keep our distance from others. You ever feel like that? I'll just, I'll just kind of stay away from others. You need to know that's a lie. That's a lie. Like, we need to be together. I mean, if the pandemic taught us nothing, it taught us the importance of gathering as the body of Christ. That's our first observation. We need to gather. That's why you're here this morning. Let's look at our second observation. We, we study God's word. What does it look like to be God's people? We gather together. We study God's word. Look at verses 2 and 3. It says, Then Ezra, the priest, brought the law before the assembly of men, women, and all who could listen with understanding. On the first day of the seventh month, he read from it before the square, which was in front of the water gate, from early morning until midday in the presence of men and women, those who could understand all the people were attentive to the book of the law. So back in verse 1, we see Ezra, he brings God's word to the people. And in verse 2, we see men, women, and all who could listen gather to hear God's word. Isn't that good? Isn't that good? We need to hear God's word. This is what we're doing this morning. All who could listen, men, women, children, that's what we're doing right now, right? People tell us children can't sit still. Jakeem's seven years old. He's sitting right there looking at God's word. He's doing it, listening attentively. They, that's what they tell us, kids. They can't sit still. they got to always be moving, right? It's impossible, right? They, they, they say that teenagers don't have an attention span, that they got to have electronics in their face, that they're incapable of sitting still. But look at verse 3. Men, women, and children gathered from early morning until midday. That's like from 6 a.m. to noon, Five to six hours just listening to God's word. That's what we're going to do today. We're going to go five, six hours. Five, six hours. You ready? We're going to go all the way. Mindy's clapping. Let's go. Right? And it says they listened attentively. That means that they're, they're engaged in what God's word has to say. Ezra wasn't up on stage playing chubby bunny. Like trying to, boys and girls, listen, God's word is going to be great. Right? He wasn't doing like a skit show for the kids. to Like, I got to do something. No, he's just listening. He's just teaching them God's word, and they're listening attentively. Listen to me, this is why it's so important for us, church family. We cannot be casual about God's word. It's God's word. It's God's word. We don't want to be casual. You want to be careful. Multitasking. With God's word, like working on something else while you're hearing God's word taught, playing with our phones while we're hearing God's word taught because it's God's word. You're not listening to me. You're listening because it's God's word. That's what some would say that God's word is like the sun and that the sun can melt the snow, but it can also harden clay and that God's word is so powerful we want to be careful with God's word because we want it to melt our hearts. We want it to melt our hearts. We don't want it to harden 
our hearts. And if we're not careful, if we're casual about God's word, it, it could end up hardening our hearts. And so we want to be attentive to God's word. That's why sometimes I challenge our teenagers, like, hey, don't have a side conversation. Don't whisper to each other. Because it's not that I want you to listen to me because, like, I'm so important. you got to hear what I have to say. It's I want you to hear God's word. I want to guard your hearts. I, 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 I want our hearts to be melted from God's word, not, not become hardened by God's word. So we don't want to be casual. You're like, oh, God's word? Like, everybody stop. God's word is being presented. That's why 2 Timothy describes God's word this way. 2 Timothy 3 says, all scripture is inspired by God. All scripture is profitable for teaching. It's profitable for reproof. God's word is profitable for correction. God's word is profitable for training in righteousness so that the man, woman, or child of God may be adequate. That word adequate means complete, right? That we may, we may be complete, equipped for every good work. God's word is so important. We don't want to be casual with God's word. We don't want to multitask. We, we, you know, it's, it's, I mean, you know, do the dishes, put on God's word, okay, but like, be careful. Like, we, want, we want to give God's word the attention it deserves, that God's word is sharper than any two-edged sword. It, it divides, it cuts through. That it's, it's a lamp to our feet. It's a light to our path God's word endures forever I mean for eternity we're going to be in the midst of God's word God's word leads us into blessing God's word protects us from darkness and death like we don't when we we want to gather as a church family we want to study God's word we don't want to be casual about God's word let's look at our third subpoint we repent daily what does it look like to become a people for god's glory we gather we study god's word we repent daily look at verse 9 then nehemiah who was the governor and ezra the priest and scribe and the levites who taught the people said to all the people this day is holy to the lord your god do not mourn or weep, for all the people were weeping when they heard the words of the Lord. So in, in, in verse 4, we're skipping a lot, right? We jump down. Verse 4, Ezra gathers them at a podium, right? He has a worship service right there in front of him. Spiritual leaders, you see a list of names on his left or on his right. They're going to go into the crowd to help people understand God's word and and. In, in verse 5, he opens up God's word. It says people just stand in reverence. Right, we don't have to stand at the reading of, of God's word, but we want to be reverent. Right? It's, it's descriptive. It's not prescriptive, but we want to be reverent towards God's word. And then, and then verse 6, it says the people respond to God's word. They say amen and amen because, because it's God's word. And then verse 7, they're, they're going throughout the crowds, spiritual leaders, the Levites, helping people. Know God's word, read God's word, understand God's word, so that in verse 9 here, they're responding with weeping. They're being confronted with God's word. They're, re they're responding with repentance, just like what Roberto was teaching our children this morning. That, that glass is upside down and missing out on more of God's blessing, and we turn, we get, we get a full cup, an overflowing cup, right? That we're, we're, we're trusting in ourselves, in our sin, 
It leads to darkness and death. And then when we turn from that, right, that's the repentance. We're turning from trusting in ourselves to trusting in the Lord. Right, that there's daily repentance. You need to remember in the context of Nehemiah chapter 8 that the people, they've wandered from the Lord. For generations they've wandered from the Lord. For generations they've wandered into darkness and death and to, to idols of false worship. And so now we're getting to watch repentance put on display in Nehemiah chapter 8 as they turn, as they turn from their sin to, to trust in the Lord. And have you had that happen in your life? I, I hope, I hope we've had moments in our life where we're repentance has taken place. We've turned from our sin. We've turned from trusting in ourselves to trust, trusting in the Lord. I, I hope there's not, not only cataclysmic repentance like we see here in Nehemiah chapter 8, but I, I, hope, I hope there's a pattern of daily repentance in, in the lives of, a, of the men, women, and children in our, in our church family where we're daily Daily responding in repentance, that we're daily turning, turning from trusting in ourselves to, to trusting in the Lord. I mean, sometimes our, 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 our turning from the Lord, sometimes it lasts moments, sometimes it lasts days, sometimes it lasts seasons or years. It doesn't matter really how long it lasts, but, but that we would have a time when we, we turn in repentance and we trust in the Lord. I was talking to a young family one time, a young married couple. And they were fighting with each other. You know, they're in a place where they're just, they're at odds with each other. And they're, they're frustrated. They're angry at, at each other. And I said, hey, look, let's just start off. Let's just kind of draw a circle. I know we're thinking it's, it's his problem and it's her problem. And if she just changed, and he, that's where we are when we fight, right? But let's just draw a circle in ourselves. Let's just see, where, where, can, where can I repent? Where can I own something? And the, and the wife just, just factly uh, said, like, I have, there's nowhere for me to repent. And I said, I get it, I get it. I mean, your husband, he's a goof. You know, there's, he's doing a lot of frustrating things right now. But in everything, you know, a 1%, you know, a 0.1%, there's something that you can own. It takes two. And she said, no, there's nothing I've done wrong. And I, and I said to her, I said, oh, it's the, repentance isn't a bad thing. Repentance doesn't mean you're in trouble with God. It's the kindness of the Lord that leads us to repentance. Like we we want to run to repentance. Right? I mean, uh, Revelation 3 says we're to be zealous for repentance. Uh, Acts 3 says that, 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 that it's, it's repentance that leads us into a time of refreshment with the Lord. First uh, John says that, that when we repent, that he is faithful to forgive us for our sins. Matthew 18 teaches us that when we repent, we rejoice, like we high-five one another when there's, we don't need, we just hide in our repentance, we rejoice in, in our repentance. So we want, we want cataclysmic like repentance, like, you know, my life was in a ditch turned upside down, and bam, like that story. And we also want stories of like, I was harsh with my spouse, I turned in repentance. I was harboring bitterness towards this person, I turned in repentance. I was, I was drifting towards impure thoughts, and I turned in repentance. That, that, I, that, I was, that I was frustrated with the Lord, that he's not doing what I want him to do, and so I turned to the Lord in, in repentance. Like We want daily repentance in our church family. 
Because it's repentance that reminds us of the gospel, right? It's repentance that reminds us that we're sinners. Like, oh yeah, I'm a sinner, I need to repent. It's repentance that reminds us that Jesus has taken our sin at the cross and conquered it in the resurrection. So yes, I need to repent. It's forgiveness that, that opens our eyes to the glory of God, that we were in darkness and death and he came to save us. Like we want to glory in repentance. We want to see repentance as a daily part of our lives. Let's look at our last one, our last subpoint. We worship the Lord, verses 10, 11, and 12. We, we gather together. We study God's word. We repent daily. We worship the Lord. Verse 10 says, Then he said to them, Nehemiah and Ezra, say to them, Say, Go, eat of the fat, drink of the sweet, and send portions to him who has nothing prepared. For this day is holy to our Lord. Do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be still, for the day is holy. Do not be grieved. All the people went away to eat, to drink, and to send portions, and to celebrate a great festival, because they understood the words which had been made known to them. It's possible this could be a little confusing for us, because it was like, do not, do not grieve. Right? Why? They just... They're mourning, they're repenting, you just said that's good, and now they're telling them not to mourn, not to, to grieve, and sometimes that can be a little confusing for us when we look at God's word. When we talk about sin, right, we do want to be clear that sin leads to death, right, that God is holy, that, 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 that he is glorious, and that, that Jesus has, has come to save us from that sin so that we walk in, in holiness. We, we want to be clear uh, that, that the Lord has called us to holiness, but but we don't want to forget the hope that the Lord brings into our life. Does that make sense? Like we want to be clear that when we when we turn from darkness and death to to light, like there, there there's there's a holiness taking place there, but there's also the hope that's taking place there. And th and that's what's going on in the context of Nehemiah chapter 8. Remember the people have wandered into darkness. They've worshiped false idols. They've hardened their hearts. They've done so for generations. And so he wants them to see their sin. He wants them to see that it leads to death. But he doesn't want to leave them in a place of darkness and death. And so he's calling them. Back in verse 9, he says, do not weep. You don't have to stay in darkness and death. Verse 10, do not be grieved. So that he's lifting their eyes to worship. We, want, we don't want to lose sight of that church family. We do want to see the darkness and death, but we don't want to lose sight of the hope we have in Jesus. And so I want to share a story with you to help illustrate. I've shared this story uh, before. It's from maybe 10 years ago in a relationship with my kids. They might illustrate what this passage is teaching for us this morning. Um, right now our kids are, I have an 18-year-old daughter, Kennedy, and a 15-year-old son, uh, Tucker. But, but this was at a season of our life when they were much younger. Kennedy was about seven years old. And I got Jakeem, thank you. <laughs> and uh, Jakeem wasn't in our house at this time. And I got, uh, I got a four-year-old Tucker, right? And Holly was working late. And uh, we were in that season as a family where it was my job to get the kids fed, to get them uh, bathed, to get them ready for bed, to get them tucked in, right? Dad was on, on duty. And uh, if, you, if you're in that season now, it's kind of stressful, right? You kind of, you go all day working hard, that's stressful, and then you come home. 
and, and, and that's, that's stressful. You're just like moving, you know. And, and I, was on, I was on deck. I was like, I got this, right? And so I'm, I'm feeding the kids. And at some point, uh, Kennedy says, like, hey, I really want some orange juice. I want a cup of orange juice uh, with dinner. And I said, no, uh, no, no orange juice uh, for dinner. And um, she's like, but I really want orange juice. And she says, and I say, no, orange juice. And so we do that back and forth. OJ, no OJ, OJ, no OJ. And the strong man that I am, I give in. I'm like, okay, you can get your OJ. She wore me down in like 10 seconds. And so I go to the refrigerator, I pour the glass of OJ. And then I walk, I walk back to the table. And I don't remember exactly what she said to me. She's seven years old at the time. She's in uh, with the infants this morning serving our, our little babies. And I asked her if I could share this story. She said yes. And uh, I don't remember what she said exactly. Um, but as I was handing her uh, the glass of OJ, she said something to the effect of, that's right, you better give me that OJ. <laughs> and I don't know if she had that, like, street tone to her, but it felt like that, you know. Like, like I was offended, just like, what do you mean better? Get, you know, so like any mature uh, man, I... I take the OJ back from her. I'm like, you're not going to talk to me like that. And, and now the OJ was, is within distance. And so she reaches for the OJ. And at this point, we're now like in a tug of war uh, with OJ. Uh, but I'm a grown man. And so I can win. And so I, I snatch the OJ out of her hand and then in just complete loss of self-control. I'm embarrassed to admit this, but I, I end up splashing the OJ yeah, every kid in here, like, loves their parents so much better. They're like, I'm so glad I don't live with that guy, right? And I don't know how you think of me right now. You know, some of you might, might be like, I can't believe that guy's a pastor, right? And then some of you are like, dude, I've done worse. And so, like, we got the whole spectrum. But really, what devastated me in that moment it wasn't really just splashing OJ in her face, although that wasn't right. What, what devastated me in the moment as a father is the look that was on Kennedy's face at seven years old where she's looking at me, and, and for the first time, she has this look on her face where she realizes her daddy's not 100% safe. And, like, it devastated me. And she, she's crying, and she took off to her room crying, and she goes and slams the door. And uh, I give her a few seconds to kind of calm down. And then I go in, and I apologize to her. I say, hey, that's not right, what I did. That's not acceptable uh, behavior, and I, I apologize. We'll will you forgive me? And like most children, incredibly resilient, she does. Uh, we hug, and, and we have a sweet moment between daddy and, and daughter. Uh, but as I walk out of that room, like, I was still devastated. Like, that look on her face just kept replaying uh, in my head. And I had this self-talk in my, in my head of just, like, what a horrible parent I was, and, and like, I, you know, you're supposed to be a spiritual leader, and, you know, you're the worst parent ever. I can't believe, you know, that's what's going through my head. And so when Holly comes home, I tell her, I say, Holly, and I walk her through that story, and, and Holly can see that I'm visibly affected by this. And, and so she's trying to encourage me, but it's just like it's bouncing off my heart and, and my head, and I'm just like, no, that wasn't right. And I'm just kind of looping this in my head. Well, the next morning, I have elder meeting. And so I go to our elder meeting, and I'm still just weighted down by this. And so I confess to our elders. I'm like, look, this is what happened. And I walk them through that story. And, and at that time, Risa uh, Browning was serving as an, an, an elder in our, in our church family. And uh, I finished telling him, and, and he says, Michael, uh, it sounds like you've, you've forgotten the gospel. 
And, and I heard him say that, and, and I was like, yeah, but you don't understand. And he says, no, 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 Michael, it sounds like you're beating yourself up for a beating that Jesus has already taken at the cross for you. You, you don't need to beat yourself up. Jesus has already taken that beating for you. And I've heard the gospel. I've communicated the gospel. And in that moment, it's just the gospel was just washing over me. And, and tears are coming to my eyes. And he says to me, he says, have you, have you apologized to Kennedy? I said, yeah. And he says, have you confessed that to Jesus? I said, yeah. And he says, well, then receive his forgiveness. And like Nehemiah, like Nehemiah of old, he says, do not be grieved, right? Do not be grieved. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. Like Nehemiah of old, go eat the fat, drink of the sweet, send portions to him who has nothing, for this day is holy to our Lord. That's the gospel. Like when you hear the gospel, you can't help but respond in worship. Like you, could just, you just feel it through the room as like as we just hear, like, yeah, that's the gospel. Like our sin is dark and it is death. And when we turn from that, there's life in him. And that's what Jesus has come for. And see, what happens is sometimes when, when the Spirit shows us our sin, because ha- he has to show us how dark and death and devastating our sin is, sometimes we want to wallow in that. Right, sometimes we want to beat ourselves up in that. Do you ever do this? Sometimes we gotta, I'm going to put myself in a time out. Like, I can't go to worship service right now. Did you see what I did? Like, you think I can gather with the body of Christ after what I did? We think, I'll put myself in a time out. Like, two weeks, we make up like this time in our head. After what I looked at on the internet, you think I could come and sing and lift holy hands in worship after what I said to my children or whatever it is? Like, we have this idea that I got to take a fraction of that punishment. That's not the gospel. Jesus has taken that punishment for us. And so we turn, and we receive that, just like the glass illustration, and we receive his blessings to a point of overflowing. Look, that is the gospel. And if you've never trusted in Jesus, I don't know where you are in your spiritual journey. I don't know how old you are, but you need to believe in Jesus today. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that he conquered death in the resurrection. Receive the forgiveness that he has to pour out onto you abundantly. And if you have received Jesus, then be, be reminded of that. Be reminded of the goodness of the gospel. Be reminded of the life that we have in Jesus. That's exactly what's taking place in Nehemiah chapter 8. They are a people who have wandered, and he's reminding them of the Lord's goodness. And if you keep reading Nehemiah chapter 8 on your own, what you see is that the the, the Levites, they go out into the crowds. Remember the families, they lived in the surrounding areas. And so they go out and they teach the fathers. And the fathers are going to go home and they're going to gather their family. They're going to teach their family the word of God. And they're going to repent as a family. And they're going to worship as a family. So that in Nehemiah chapter 8, the spiritual temperature is being turned up. It's not about a wall. It's about gathering a people to God's glory, turning up that temperature for the Lord. It's exactly what we want to do in our church family. Yes, we are going through a season of transition, but we're not hoping to get on the other side of that transition and be at the same place. We want to turn up that spiritual temperature, collectively, individually. 
And I don't know what number you want to put on it. If we're at a four, then let's turn it up to a five. If we're on a seven, let's turn it up to an eight. If we're on a 10, let's turn it to 11. Like whatever number it's at, it doesn't really matter. But let's, let's turn it up. Let's lean into the Lord, right, as we build and belong as a church family, that he would take us to a different place individually, as a family, as a church family, that we would gather, that we would have new stories, new stories of gathering. I already hear stories. We met at this place in each other's homes. We brought this meal. We went for this walk. New stories of gathering, new stories of God's word. Studying it on our own on Sunday morning, memorizing God's word, singing God's word, praying God's word, encouraging one another with God's word. New stories, new stories of repentance, right? That story with my daughter, it's a, it's, a, it's a pivotal story for our family. It's 10 years ago. Let's have new stories, new stories of daily repentance, new stories of worship. That, that the Lord would lead us to a place of turning up that, that spiritual temperature, We're going to have people at the back to pray for you, to pray with us as a church family. Man, let's respond. In Nehemiah chapter 8, they don't merely hear God's word. James chapter 1, they don't merely hear God's word, but they respond to God's word. Might we do the same? Let us not just hear. Now, let's not just listen attentively, but let us respond. Will you close your eyes? Will you bow your head?